This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Commander Shepard, and 99 Potions is my favorite RPG podcast on the Citadel. everyone, welcome to 99 Potions, Fanbytes' premier RPG podcast where we get together every week to talk about RPGs. I'm one of your hosts, Natalie Flores, future contributor of Fanbyte, and this week we have a bit of a special episode. Normally, around this time of the month, we would do our news quest segment, um, but in celebration of the Mass Effect Legendary Edition's recent release, we had the absolute honor of having Jennifer Hale on 99 Potions. Um, You might know Jennifer Hale as uh, the voice of Female Shepard in Mass Effect, or Ash in Overwatch, or Rivet in the upcoming Ratchet and Clank game. Um, So it's a wonderful episode. We get to talk so much Mass Effect, ask her so many questions, and we are so excited for you to listen to the interview. Um, So... Thank you, and we hope you enjoy. Uh, This interview is conducted by me, Elise Favis, and Kenneth Shepard. So stay tuned and enjoy the rest of the show. Hey, Jennifer. So good to have you here. It's so good to be here. Thank you so much, Elise. We know how busy you are, and we're just like so thrilled to have you here. We're all huge Mass Effect fans. um, So, and we've been playing through the Legendary Edition. feeling like coming home, you know, to our favorite series. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that way. It's It looks incredible. How is it to play? It's really good. I, I feel like the changes to Mass Effect 1 especially are just mm-hmm. are very distinct. Uh, it, it, the, the guns feel better. Um, mm-hmm. The makeup sort of feels better. Uh, <laughs> still has that charm of like <laughs> kind charm. of fumbling through. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's, it's great. It looks really good too, astonishingly. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I guess to start off, um, you know, you found out about the Legendary Edition just a few days before the public did. Um, did you, what was your reaction to that? Was it like, I know you were surprised, um, but were you also like, oh man, I wish I had been involved with that at all? Or like, what What was the <laughs> overall reaction there? I was completely surprised. I had had this idea back in October of 2022 Um, just put together a panel for fun for N7 Day that year. And I thought, you know, let's just get everybody together. It was a very strong instinct I had. So I thought, okay, I'll I'll make it happen. Let's do this. And um, so I pulled a bunch of us together and it was all organized. And then a few days before, Mark and I were contacted to see if we would participate in a Mass Effect-themed D&D game. And this was all told to us in confidence in celebration of the remaster release. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Um, And it didn't even occur to me that they would be recording anything new. 
I mean, initially, and then it did, and I was excited. I was like, maybe, but no, they had everything they needed, mm. and they worked from them. I mean, we did such a volume of stuff. I will say that I hope that whatever they're engaging in going forward, that there's some of Shepard's story in it, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. So you're not much of a gamer, but you've been what you've been sort of experiencing the legendary edition through the community and through the fans. Um, so tell us about that experience. Like, has there been any particular, you know, reactions from people playing for the first time or something like that, that have stuck out with you so far? Yeah. You're, you're so generous. I'm not much of a gamer. I'm horrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm horrible. I didn't want to speak for Oh my you. God. Are you kidding? I'll speak for me. I suck <laughs> at it. No, thank you on the controller. No. It's their problem for being too hard for you. Like not accommodating Jennifer Hale. <laughs> There should be you a know, difficulty option, Jennifer I, Hale. I, right, Jennifer Hale, it'd be somebody else's hands doing it for you and you tell them what to do. Um, Can you imagine how many people would tune into that, though? Like, <laughs> I want to do that. I want to do a stream where I jump in and go, okay, go over there. Okay, pick that answer, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, it's also, it's kind of mortifying for me playing because I, you know, when we record, we get, we get as much context as they can give us at the time based on the time constraints we're recording in and everything else. And then we just go. So there's pieces that are added later, and I always think, God, if I'd have known that detail, I would have tweaked mm. it a little this way. It drives me crazy. Um, but, you know, you got to let it go. Um, so I actually will confess that the night that Legendary was released, I snuck around on YouTube and Twitch and dropped into various people's streams. Oh. <laughs> I think I only told one of them that one of them was like, I was kind of put it out there after dropping into a couple of them. Um, this one guy was so lovely. I don't remember his name, but he was on YouTube. And he said, you know, I'm playing this game for the first time and I don't even know how to do this. And I, I typed in, I was like, in the chat, I was like, are you playing FemShep or BroShep? He's like, what? What does that mean? <laughs> I was like, okay. And I said, well, if you do, I'm the voice of FemShep. He's like, oh, really? Ha, 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 that's funny. I was like, no, I'm here. And somebody else went, oh, my God, that is her. And I was like, bye. <laughs> and then I tweeted about it or something. And somebody was like, I would die. And I was like, all right. No, I would barf. So I went on her Twitch channel. I was like, hey, don't barf. What's up? Hey, don't barf. So <laughs> it, was, it was amazing to see, actually, seeing the graphics and hearing the music and you know, it's funny. We do a lot of, uh, I don't know what you call it. Sound sets, I guess, is what we call them. You know, the when you're running like, the, you know, mm. as you're running down a hall, or the, as you move to avoid something. And it was really funny to hear them in action and some of the in-betweens. Yeah. 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 Um, so something that I think makes the character of Shepard really special to a lot of Mass Effect fans is that everyone kind of has a different vision of who they are just because mm-hmm. of all the different choices they make and relationships they have. So I'm kind of curious, when you think of Shepard, who is it that she is to you? Like, what do you envision when you're getting into that character? Me. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, of course, there's a part of me that was like, yeah, and if they did a movie or, a, you know, a TV thing of this, I would love to be Shepard. But I know better. I know they tend to cast, um, they often cast, you know, sort of known TV commodities, mm. in which case I would like to be an alien or, a, you know, somebody <laughs> diplomatic or military. But, you know, Shepard's... Shepard's faceless to me, oddly enough. Shepard is an Mm. energy. It's a spirit. It's a being. It's like an entity in a way. Shepard is a feeling. Shepard is a a way of being. No kidding. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that, that like, you know, you see so much of yourself in Shepard, which makes sense. But um, it, it makes me think a lot about like, 
I interviewed Ashley Johnson from, you know, mm-hmm. who plays Ellie in The Last of Us. And, you know, she was saying that there are certain things about Ellie that um, resemble herself. Like there are certain traits of Ashley's like, or hobbies, like she loves space. Um, and that was kind of infused into the script. So like Ellie also loves space. Mm-hmm. So of course, Shepard um, is an interesting character because she slash him is also, you know, a little bit of a blank slate, right? So it's a vessel yeah. for the character to kind of embody. But at the same time, do you think that there are certain aspects of her personality or traits um, that Bioware kind of um, borrowed from from you or from, from the way you um, did your voice work? Well, that's interesting. I don't know if it was borrowed from Bioware's end as much as it was um, deeply invested from my end. You know, whenever I play a character... I look at the writing because everything comes from the writing. Writers make the world go round. You know, it's it's amazing. And I look at the writing and I see who this person is that's on the page. And I kind of do, there's like a self-inventory. Like, okay, these pieces of me go on the shelf. They're not visiting this time. Uh, these pieces of me are brought to the front, the ones that are sometimes in the back. These pieces, you know, I just kind of do a quick self-resort. And I disappear into that person. Um, And when I do it, when I go in there, my approach in the booth is that I have to have a full and complete experience as to the best of my ability. Otherwise, you won't when you play, Mm. you know. I'm curious, though, since you recorded so many lines and so many different versions of Shepard emerged from that, was there like a consistent image of Shepard that emerged for you, like a way that you specifically see Shepard? I don't see Shepard like visually from the mm-hmm. outside mm-hmm. when I'm being Shepard. I feel Shepard in my body. I guess if mm-hmm. I had to think about it, it's it, Shepard lives in the way that my my I stand. Like I could never wear a dress, good Lord, to record Shepard. That would just <laughs> feel weird and wrong. You know, I could never wear stupid shoes. You know, that would just feel wrong. I couldn't couldn't ground myself in the character. I always wore like pants and sensible shoes or I took my shoes off, you know, um, mm. and did it in my socks. I, um, it's Shepard's an energy. It's, it's, I don't know any other way to say it. Like I don't right. see myself from the outside when I'm performing mm. because then I'm watching myself and that then I'm not being it. Mm. I'm doing it as opposed to being it. Let's, uh, kind of roll back to like, gosh, you know, before, before Mass Effect's coming out, the first Mass Effect's coming out, so like early, you know, 2000s-ish, um, I, I'm curious, you know, you're auditioning for the role. What was it about this project that wanted you, because no one could have known, right, that Mass Effect would be as huge as it became. Um, what was it specifically about this role that, that, that interested you in it in the first place? What I loved about this role from the audition is that this was a character who was not defined by their gender. Mm. This was a character who was a human being with a very deep and profound mission. And, you know, I know it sounds dorky, but I've wanted to save the world since I was four <laughs> and or since I can remember. And this character was out to save, you know, the the, uni- the galaxy. And um, who doesn't want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> You got to yeah. do it in one way, and yeah. not only the world, but I think you saved a lot of people individually, too. Natalie, you had a, a good question, if yes. you want to go go into that right away. Yes. So 
sticking to emotional territory, um, <laughs> I am a huge uh, Garrus fan. I am a Garrus mancer. Um, and when I think of Mass Effect, I always think, probably the first thing I think about is that story that you love telling everywhere <laughs> you go about getting emotional while you said goodbye to Garrus. Um, and I realized that like you, you haven't really been asked sort of why did it affect you the way that it did? Like, what is it about Garrus that among all the super emotional moments in Mass Effect 3 um, and all those incredible goodbyes that you said to these characters that you've spent so much time with, what was it about Garrus and that particular goodbye that got to you? That's such a great question. My first thought is the writing, you mm. know, and all the writing was stellar. Just something about that, you know, it's that's it was that, singular moment where the writing and the mental space I was in, and I think I'd been warmed up in a few other goodbye scenes, and yeah. I was very available, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And it actually was too far, you know, initially, because Shepard doesn't cry. Like, that's one of the pieces that goes on the shelf, right? I am a, I am an right. iron marshmallow. You can, like, I'll <laughs> cry at the drop of a hat. You know, I'm strong, but I'll like, <laughs> you know, it takes a lot of strength to live with this level of feeling, right? Um but with that when I had I think I'd been in all the feels for the other scenes and and it just tapped back into me versus Shepard for a second. I was like, oh no, 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 no. Mm. Shepard would not cry. So I started the take and then I caught myself and I sucked it all back down and covered it, which is that so much of a you know, for creators of human beings and stories or beings of any sort in stories, you've got the raw emotional life of the being human or otherwise and then there's the cover which says as much about who they are as anything else how do they cover you know Shepard might have all that feeling but nope we are covering this mm. with short to the point phrases and getting to work you know and right. yeah I think that's why it hit me I think it was just the cumulative and plus it was just it was a little bit of magic it just happened yeah. In the moment, yeah. Did you like connect with Garrus a lot, like as a character and his relationship with Shepard? Um, like, I'm curious if you were able to romance anyone in Mass Effect, who would oh, it be? You know, I always say, don't make me pick. But if if um, if we want to drill down, I, you know, I love Liara because I love the ground that we broke. I think that's so mm. important. Um, I love. Garrus, because it got to that space, something about it just moved through the heart of Shepard. And in that story, that goodbye was as much about Shepard as it was about Garrus. And they all were, but there was just some little secret sauce in that. I don't know what it was. Maybe you their know? friendship. I think their friendship yeah. is, like you said, Shepard is not affected by their gender. And yeah. to see that camaraderie between Shepard and Garrus, no matter what their gender is, yeah. it transcends gender. And yeah. for her to have that sort of ally in space and in the middle of everything. Yeah. You just know Garrus has your back in a very particular way. There's a certain loyalty to Garrus. Mm -hmm. For you sure. can count on him. You can count on Garrus mm -hmm. no matter what. He'd take a bullet for you. Yeah. And does. Here and, and does. There. <laughs> <laughs> um, which character, there's a, there's a lot of characters, you know, your crew that, um, that don't, that aren't able to stick around or, you know, pass away. Is there a certain death? Um, for me, it's, it's Morden. Yeah. You know, I think he mm. has one of the best character arcs in the series. Um, but 
that was an extremely emotional moment for me as his death. Um, was there one for you that affected you more than the others? I found that one shocking. It was mm. it was just surprising and shocking. And of course, my job, I mean, the pace we work at is insane. Right. I don't have time to process anything. And we were, I don't see the script 80, nowadays 85% of the time. But when we recorded this in, what is 2007, you know, it was 95% of the time. I don't see the script ahead of time. I walk in blind. I see the lines up on the page or as of Mass Effect 2, the screen. See, when they gave us mm. paper scripts in Mass Effect 1, I could kind of flip ahead while they were doing stuff in the booth and grab context and grab detail, but we used so much paper, it was tragic. So we, um, Caroline, I know, advocated for the VEDA system where everything was on a screen, and you can't flip ahead then. I'm just staring at the screen trying to grab context that flies by as the engineer moves the cursor around for us, and um, we don't we don't have time to process. So it's, it's it's just whatever your gut reaction is in the moment, you go with that. And the other side of that is you don't have time to dwell on it either. You're like, right. on to the next line, on to the next line, on to the next line. I remember Gosh. one session, Kara walked in and I always get the count before the day starts because that tells me how much time to I have to catch up with these wonderful people I work with. I love mm. them so much. Oh, so there's this incredible community. Um, I didn't have, so that day I said, what's our count? And Caroline said, oh, no. I said, what? She said, it's it's high. It's really high. <laughs> I went, oh, okay. What is it? And she said, it's like 563. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> she said, yeah. She said, Steve said, we'll never get through it all. And I was like, he what? He said, we won't do it. Let's go. And we Challenge did. Accepted. Challenge accepted. I was like, don't tell me I can't because now I have to, even if I don't want to. Don't you dare tell me I can't. Challenge accepted, right? I had, I had an ex that made that mistake. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> no, you, you can't say that to me because I will do it even if I don't want to, Yeah, which is yeah. its own prison, right? And you're such a professional, but like, was there a moment where when you recorded that first line, you kind of had to do another take, not because like... I gather it's normal to do several takes, but because you were too emotional. Um, you mean the Garris back in the Garris story, or in general? No, just in general. Like, was there uh, a scene where you had to do another take just because the first one you were too emotional, since you're not able to process those things before? Oh yeah. I mean, well, that happens. I don't get overtaken often, although. But that's the beauty, right? When that emotion mm -hmm. swells up and it's in right. your throat, that's real life. I remember. Mm -hmm. I was in an acting class, I think I was 20 years old, and it was this beautiful character actor, Jeff Corey. He was, I don't even know how old he was at the time, in his mid-70s. And um, giant, tall, hawkish man. He'd been blacklisted in the McCarthy era. And he was, he, he was at the time, quote-unquote, relegated to sci-fi. I mean, he was like a fantastic actor who nailed it in all these great sci-fi roles back then. And he was quite the teacher. <laughs> he was daunting. And some actor was up on stage and they were emoting their little face off. And I was 20 years old and gazing up the stage going, wow, that's so cool. I hope I can get to my emotions that way. You know, and <laughs> Jeff Corey literally interrupts him in the middle of the scene. And pardon me, I'm going to swear. Is it OK to swear? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeff Corey interrupts him in the scene and goes, God damn it, people. And we all like jumped in our seats because his voice could quite carry. And he said, real people don't set out to feel things. They set out to do things in the course of which they feel things that they don't want to feel. I don't want to see your goddamn emotions all over my stage. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a nugget I'll be carrying through the rest of my life. 
And and it's true, you know, you have to get that motor going and then you got to cover, cover like a real human covers because that's who you are. Um, but yeah, there's there's always a process at the beginning where you you tweak and, you know, I, I liken it to, you know, how our gray matter, it folds when it learns something is my understanding. God help me if I'm wrong about that. I may be wrong about that, but that's how I conceptualize it. None of us are scientists here. So right, yeah. right, right. So <laughs> like, right, when you're changing a habit, I always imagine it like smooth ice and you're trying to get like a, the line of a skate you know, to track inside that ridge. And there isn't a ridge there, so you're all over the place. And each time you repeat the habit, if you can slow down and go through that groove slowly, you carve that ridge a little deeper. And starting a new role is like that. You're kind of sliding around on the ice and and you're like, whoa, which way is it? Am I off here? Oh, yeah, okay. And I'll often record a reference line in the beginning on my voice memos and just listen back to it between takes when they're doing something. I call it a key line and something that just gets me right there into the role and and um that keeps me true in and then after a while it just gets into your body and you're like no i know this <laughs> i know this is like the back of my hand it's part of my soul shepherd even climbed into my dreams at one point oh my gosh yeah. <laughs> it, was there a certain point with shepherd where like you talk about you know finding the right tone and stuff with the different characters and was there a certain point with shepherd where you're just like okay i i understand who she is and I'm just more easily able to embody her. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's just a couple sessions in, and then you, because you would do a session, we do a four hour session, and then we might do one a week later, and then we might not do anything for a month, and then you come back, so you have to bring it back. And I, I mean, I know I don't remember how many sessions I had, but I know in Mass Effect Two alone, I had seven thousand lines. Mm-hmm. So wow. you know, I mean, if you're averaging normal average is probably 250 300 350 in a session it depends on the session too i mean i remember i did a sims game when i think i did 90 something lines and it was like record setting i'm like geez that seems so low to me <laughs> but then i'm doing another game where we're completely working to picture across technology in two or three different cities in another country and that's that's a snail's pace there now one minute you recorded for a sims game did you have to talk in simlish i did Oh my god! And what the craziest, I have no idea. Oh yeah, it was the medieval Sims, I think it was. And I, I, the craziest thing was the whole time I had what I wanted to be the theme song for that one, which was uh, what's the dun 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 dun. Which mm. Beethoven is that? Um, but I, I heard it in Simlish acapella with a bunch of Sims going la vi snorg me gadu me kamila you know like like in like I said I heard in my head and it wouldn't stop the whole time <laughs> I had it in my head for months like I may record it sometime just because it makes me happy <laughs> oh my god oh no fog me va yeah <laughs> la yeah, with all I love voices. so much. I love how goofy it is. <laughs> it's like, so goofy. Like, like years ago, my best friend and I, we would call each other and just talk in Simlish. Like we would just do that for like 20 <laughs> minutes. I would be on the bus and people would give me looks. <laughs> yes. People were, I bet people were like, oh my gosh, she's so cultured. Like she knows this like language. Like where is that from? <laughs> right? Clearly. Oh my God. Mm. So crazy. Um. Well, back to Mass Effect. Um. <laughs> You know, I, I, I want to know more about how it worked for recording Renegade and Paragon lines. Mm. Was that like you'd go through a whole Paragon, you know, script first and then you'd go through the Renegade after? Or is it more like going a little freely between the two? We would go line by line. And if that line was Renegade. OK, wait, 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 wait. I'm trying to remember. 
it's been a few years. Yeah, and it was such a volume. And that's the thing about me. Like we work under NDAs constantly. Mm. So I will literally like men in black myself at the end of every session. Like, I don't know. Did I do that? (laughs) Oh, that was fun. You know, I don't, I have no idea. I remember doing, yeah, I remember doing scenes and there would be the renegade pass and then the paragon pass and then the neutral Mm. pass. And those were, that was challenging. I remember I watched uh, Tom Bissell did an article about me for the New Yorker several years ago and which was so cool. And he's a fabulously talented and lovely human being. And um, he made me play Mass Effect for a, for an hour. And <laughs> I wanted to play the middle of the road response because mm. it is the hardest to make interesting and the hardest to make right. land. Yeah. Yeah. Because sure. you have to be specific in your choices. And when you're being middle of the road, you're kind of deliberately being unspecific, but you still mm. have to make it work. And then spice it up with a renegade action. Oh, I love that. (laughs) But isn't, I'm sick of your disingenuous assertions. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have have a question from our editor-in-chief, Danielle Riendo, which is a very, a goofy question, but I love it. Um, She wants to know, do you actually have a favorite store on the Citadel or a favorite place on the Citadel that you'd like to share? My favorite place on the Citadel is outside. Um, mm. my favorite store on the Citadel is, uh, the farm where I buy vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I had to pick the vegetable store and the farm. Yeah. So uh, you've had like a, you've had a very prolific career over the years. Um, but as a fan of Mass Effect who is, you know, even if I'm not like directly engaged with like I am right now with Legendary Edition, I'm always, it's always like my periphery. And I always see that like, you're still very much like in tune with that, that fandom and that community. What is it about Shepard that has kind of made you latch onto that role and people's relationship to that character for so long. It's a special sauce. You know, it's a little bit of a unicorn on the landscape. You know, it's it's a unicorn in a in a pasture full of ponies that are similarly colored, but it's got that extra special something. It's Bioware made magic. They took risks. Mm. If I I don't know for sure, but it feels like from out here that their commitment was not to make bank on a game. Their commitment was to create something really incredible. And they grounded it in the reality of those people. And it was so inclusive and it was so groundbreaking and it reached so deeply. And, you know, to Natalie's point earlier, I've had so many people come up to me and say, you know, their wording is you saved my life or this game saved my life. And and I always remind them, you know, you saved your life. We just had your back. You did that. But the fact that it landed so deeply for people and I've spent time around these some of these Bioware people and they're extraordinary. Their commitment is to the work. It's to the material. It's to the community. And that that is in alignment with who I am. Mm. I think that's it. It's in alignment with who I am in so many deep ways. And, you know, for a time after it came out, I was I was putting this box where people were like, yeah, do that thing again that you did there. Right. Like, okay, I'll do that part, but I'm going to give yours a little something different because it's different. But I don't mind it because I listen. I know that I'm quite capable of doing a great deal more, which is part of what excites me about um rift apart that's coming out Mm -hmm. you know it's a whole different aspect that i'm so excited to live in for a while but it's an honor 
My God, to be part of something like this, the commitment and the involvement of this fan base is deep and authentic. Mm. And I don't want to pass that up. For sure. And um, like on the note, like you said about it being inclusive, um, something I personally like really took away from a lot of the marketing of the Legendary Edition specifically was that they were kind of going another way to talk about both Femship and Maleship. And that's even like on the cover, like you can't really tell which one it is. And uh, they had this new trailer out that had, you know, Femship at the forefront. And I, I did see your reaction video on Twitter, but can you talk a little bit about what it was like to see Femship in like the debut trailer for the Legendary Edition? Yeah. You know, a little bit of backstory there. And I didn't realize this until somebody tweeted this word a couple of days after I tweeted my response and I went, that's exactly it. That's why I got so caught up and choked up about it. I've, I, I live my life committed to being an ally and committed to standing for all peoples. And I thought I understood representation, that concept. Mm. I really did until I actually experienced it. And I think that's what moved me so deeply. I just remember I was sitting here in my booth, in my studio, and I finished a long day and I was like, oh, let me check in. And I looked on Twitter and I was like, oh, my God. Oh, how cool. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I watched (laughs) this trailer and FemShep was all over it and I just burst into tears. I was like, holy crap. And something in my gut went, mark this moment. Just mark it. Mark it right now. And I don't ever, I've, I've learned the very hard way not to question my gut. So I did. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, okay, that's nauseating, but all right. And uh, so I did it and I, I recorded what I had to say. And, and then I, it was very kind of difficult to throw it up on Twitter. I was like, oh God, this is so embarrassing. But sure. my, the voice, the gut was like, do it. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Whenever my gut says do it, I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay. Because if you don't, you get kicked really hard later. And... Uh, I'd regret it, you know. And it was just seeing that representation, mm. seeing as a woman that representation up there. And I almost hesitate to say it because now having had such a visceral experience of being represented, yeah, I thought I understood representation and that concept and what not being represented feels like. But after that moment, I don't. I got it then. I mm. dipped into the, you know, it's like you understand something versus you know it one of my wonderful mentors jim fortin says you know you you can understand a broken bone but when you have one you know it so that was the difference you know it's interesting playing especially mass effect one i guess after so many years you know it's been what 14 years since it first Mm -hmm. released which Mm -hmm. is just wild to think about yeah um uh it makes me feel kind of old but anyway um <laughs> don't even oh my god you're gonna feel that the rest of your life just tell it it's bs and move on that's what i do like, sure that's fair yeah um but it's been really interesting to see people um looking at mass effect through i guess a different lens or at least now like times have changed in so many different ways, you know, like there's a heck of a lot that's happened, especially in the last year. But I think, you know, culturally, politically, um, the last several years have been a huge shift, um, you know, I think for our country, especially, but like looking at Mass Effect, um, it's interesting to see people looking at, 
you know, some of the racism or Ashley's like xenophobia or even, you know, things like that, um, that exist within that game. Um, have you noticed any kind of interesting dialogue, uh, surrounding some of those topics? I haven't yet. I think it is a really interesting perspective. I think mainly the only reason I haven't bumped into it is I've been insanely busy and I haven't had a lot of time to spend in the conversation about it, um, which I honestly don't do a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I think one of the things that is so fascinating about the remaster is that when it was released, when when the OG Mass Effect was released... um, it was groundbreaking. It was uncomfortable and revolutionary. And I don't know if these if if the new people will understand what it was in its time mm. because you're right, so much has changed. I think though it will stand out as inclusive and substantial because of the risks that it took that are not risks now, but I think they're not risks now in part because it took those risks right. to break that ground. That's Absolutely. always my favorite thing. Yeah. I, anything I can do where I'm part of cutting a trail, I'm in. So Mass Effect has some like incredible villains. <laughs> I feel like the elusive man is probably my favorite just because of how complex he is. And you spend so much of your time, especially in like Mass Effect 2, you're just like, I don't know if he's on my side, on humanity's side, yeah. or just his own side, yeah. you know? Um, his motivations are gray. So I'm curious, is there a specific villain, whether that's, you know, him or, or Kai or Saren, uh, that really kind of struck a chord with you personally? I think the elusive man is the most substantial. I think he's the most daunting. And because of that moral ambiguity and because you can't, you know, if you can find somebody's compass point, you've got to weigh in. And it's very hard. You know, he's well named. Right. You know, it's he's not spelled E-L-U, but it's Mm -hmm. certainly certainly in there. Yeah. Um, There are so many like there's so many characters in Mass Effect, but a lot of them are just even just like passersby or people you will talk to once and never talk again and just get like a message on your terminal or something back on the Normandy. There are just there are a lot of people um, that you cross paths with. Um, And I'm curious if there's like a very minor character that you especially liked. Like the one that comes to mind for me is the Volus um, Niftu Kal. He appears in Samara's recruitment mission. And he's the one who was like, I'm a biotic god. Because yes. he's got that like toxicity thing. Yes. There. I love that character. <laughs> it's good. I love him. He's so good. Also, I love, yeah, I think Mark was a Vorcha, right? Mm-hmm. Mark. Yeah, I love that because it's Mark. And I love Mark. And he's so, so, so brilliant. I like. I'll go with you on that, and then I'll add Mark in. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, I thought of one more. The report. Oh, the, re- the reporter, of course, has to be the reporter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> would you punch As, the reporter? Oh, it would be so nice. But I, <laughs> I probably couldn't though, because I do have, um, you know, it's it's the wrong usage of this phrase, but I don't have the kill switch. I don't think so. Although if something came after my kid, I'd absolutely have the kill switch, but. I don't often I don't often uh, employ the go for the kill. Yeah. I'm not at that point yet in my like my playthrough right now, so I'm just like I used to always punch the reporter, but I'm like I am a reporter. Yeah, now. Am like, I gonna as, feel differently now? <laughs> as a room of reporters, we appreciate your restraints. <laughs> <laughs> Although there are some reporters that you know the bad apples that make the whole barrel look bad. Mm. So, um, what have you been up to outside of Mass Effect? You know, oh, uh, 
you've got the mentorship, right, for the voice acting stuff? Yeah, I've got I've got a lot going on right now. I'm um, I've got Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart coming out uh, coming out uh, June eleventh, twenty twenty one, and then I've been working on two things where uh, they're kind of like giving back to the community kind of things in a way. The first is I'm launching a Patreon uh, June first where we talk about. It's an AMA about life, right? I'm not a therapist. I'm not a you know life coach or any of that. I'm not a financial expert, but I've had my share of road rash, and um, I'm opening it up on Patreon to sit down and talk about that stuff once a month on Discord, and then once a week I'll read to people from like 15, 20 minutes from a book that I really like, you know, or something like that, and then we'll just talk about life and stuff. So that's launching June first, and then I'm really excited. I'm um, putting out a platform called SkillsHub.life, and it's our first vertical is for people who want to learn how to do voice acting or people who are already voice acting and just need 10, 15 minutes of coaching for an audition or they're just mm. stuck on one particular point. We're we're a short form. We don't book more than seven days out. We're like a drive through masterclass, you know, and our coaches are like I'm a coach. A bunch of my peers on the site are coaches, James Arnold Taylor. Um, JV Blanc, oh God, Sissy Jones. We got some killer people. And then we have casting people and voice directors from Warner Brothers, Netflix, DreamWorks, Amazon Prime. Like we've got a bunch of great people coaching. And um, it's cool. We really, we're also creating a community there. We're going to have a forum once a month where we sit so like fireside chat, or we have a forum and we're going to have like a fireside chat once a month where we come together and talk about stuff. And I'm banking interviews with each of our coaches that'll be available to, you know, our community just about different topics in, in this career. It's a soft place to land. Both of those are intended to be a soft place to land mm-hmm. for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That must be nice to like share everything that you've learned over the years with with the community. Yeah, you know, well, my goal is if it's useful, come and get it. And if it's not, go get what you need. It's all mm. good. So yeah. you've also entered the world of audiobooks too with uh, I have, Christopher Paolini's To Sleep in the Sea of Stars. Yes. What was, what was that like? And uh, would you want to do anything like that again? Yes, I loved it. I, I will read his stuff like all day long and, and other stuff. You know, I, I just did uh, my second audiobook, which was the uh, the Blizzard does these um, audiobooks or books around the characters. I just did Ash's backstory as a book, which was so fun. Um, it was not nearly as long as To Sleep in a Sea of Stars. When Christopher first contacted me about it, I said, you know, I've never done this, right? <laughs> I've never done this before. <laughs> And they're like, well, sell us, send us a sample and, and we'll check it out. And I was like, okay, this is how I would do it. And I did call a girlfriend of mine, wonderfully generous uh, woman, Renee Rodman. She does a lot of audiobooks. And I was like, Renee, how do I do this? She told me some stuff. And I was like, okay, got it. And, uh, and then the, we agreed to go forward, which was super cool. And what I would do is curl up at night with the book. And I, if we were going to do, if our target was, say, 70 pages the following day, I would read 90 pages. I didn't want to get too far ahead. Because I didn't want to give anything away with anything at all. Mm. And then there are, so it was 880 plus pages and there were around 50 characters. So I had this stack of voice memos. And then our producer, Callum Plews, was invaluable in helping me stay on track with the characters. Like sometimes I go too far and he's like, no, 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 bring that back. (laughs) Okay, sorry, I'll do it again. And it it was 70 hours of recording time and the book is 32 and a half hours long. And it was incredible and just, one of my favorite things was I released um, my first song that I released 
while we were recording this. It was, the song's called Never. It's on all the music platforms. And um, Christopher really liked it. And he said, would you consider writing something for it? He's building an entire thing, a whole fractal verse around this, you know, this book and this this universe. Fractal verse, I suppose. And um, I said, yeah. So I grabbed a writing partner, Todd Herfindahl, and we wrote this song, um, Sea of Stars, that I love. <laughs> I love this song. And we've written a few more to go to go along with this whole, you know, thing that Christopher has going. So you wrote it and sang it for the oh, yeah. audio book. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people know that you, you know, you've done singing professionally. Oh yeah. I started singing. That was my first love. It still is. I, started I was going to say, haven't yeah. you talked before about like performing live, like doing live performances and then you got into voice acting? Yep. I started singing in clubs when I was 15 and uh, shortly after that, I got my first voiceover job through our lead guitar player's mom, Jane Trexel, such a lovely human being. And um, yeah, it was, I went on from there because somebody paid me 30 bucks to talk and, and it <laughs> came very naturally to me. I remember when I was younger, I was on the phone with somebody. You know, some girl was like, talk to my boyfriend. And I was like, okay, okay. And I talked to him and he's like, wow, your voice is really something. I was like, really? And he's like, well, not anymore when you said it that way. No. <laughs> but I, you know, if you look back, there's those early cues to where your dharma is, where your, where your lane is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I love singing is my soul. I, once Skills Hub is launched and it's kind of up and on its feet and my Patreon has found its zone, I have promised myself I've got Good Lord. Six or eight songs stuck on my phone that I record them there just to hold them that I cannot mm. wait. I'm like, so I can do that to sing them right now. I'm like, you want to hear my song? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to go in and do those and make them happen. How has the last year been for you, you know, during the pandemic? And I think a lot of us have felt isolated or like our lives have been upended, you know, by this virus. Uh, how, how has that been for you? It's been really amazing. It's been profound. It's been really hard, like, and really heartbreaking. In some aspects, um, we lost our dad, our father, um, my siblings and I, uh, just over a year ago. And um, it wasn't COVID that took him, but I, I've, again, my gut spoke up and I jumped out of LA up to uh, Western Canada where my sister is and on an intuition and I was intending to just go visit for a few weeks, but literally the day before I left, the Canadian government closed the border to all but citizens. So, <laughs> I mean, I got my my legal, my banking and everything else in in order. And I got some help packing up my house and stuff because mm. my friends were going to be renting it anyway. We were all going to be living together, but it didn't happen that way. And um, and I, I'm a single mom, so I grabbed my son with his father's blessing, and uh, we bolted up here into a house that had no recording space and <laughs> what hadn't been touched since it was built in the 70s and had a bunch of renters in it. And my brother-in-law and nephews jumped in with me, and we ripped this place apart and got it ready to have a real studio built in it. And that was a whole endeavor. And But 10 days after my son and I landed here, you're to quarantine for 14 days. That's when my father had a, a massive stroke. And so we we he made the decision, even though he wasn't able to verbally communicate, he was very sharp. And he lost, um, you know, some of his physical faculties that would made his quality of life not what he wanted. He was a man who was very, very independent and fierce. He was a tribal elder and an activist. And he was, he was imprisoned twice for defying 
honestly stupid and destructive corporate orders. And mm. uh, he hunger, did a hunger strike on one of them. They literally took him, cuffed him in shackles and chains without charges and took him to a maximum security prison 1,500 kilometers away. They literally threw him in a van and he disappeared for 24 hours. We didn't know where he was. And we he emerged in a maximum security prison, you know, and so we used that to protest. He was an amazing guy, you know, and... So 10 days after we got here, a massive stroke, and he chose to not, he pulled out his IV and chose to not accept food and and walk his path in his way. So walking him through that was something we all did together. That was not being able to be there. It was a shared experience, right? So many of us have had that. So many people have lost someone and they couldn't be there. And so, so there was that piece of it. And at the same time, I've connected to online communities that are extraordinary and I've really faced down those pieces of me that, uh, you know, I don't have the luxury of, of quote unquote, na- the indulgence of lazy thinking and lazy thinking being worry, being fussing. You know, I call worry daydreaming in the negative because it's all fiction. You don't know so I really work on training myself to, if I'm going to daydream, if you're going to wander off in a bunch of monkey head thinking, make it something positive because at least it's it's better for your health physiologically. It's certainly better for your mood, which is beneficial to you and the people around you. <laughs> and, you know, it's all fiction anyway. Make it work for you. So, and then single parenting in the pandemic is a thing. And my kid being away from all his, you know, all his friends that he grew mm-hmm. up with and stuff, that was a... A thing. There's just a lot of surrender. I've just surrendered to that. This is all of our path, and it's his. And I'm not his owner. I'm not his controller of what happens. I'm his. I'm his steward. I'm his guardian. I'm his guide. And so adjusting to all that, and then there are the things that I think I look. We all know the crap side of the pandemic, but there are the blessings of it as well, which is like kind pants, easy shoes, personal space in the grocery store. <laughs> You know, I love those things. And also, I'm excited. I am angry with what the corporate machinery has done to human beings on the ground. Mm -hmm. And I don't mind that that got shaken up. We had to put up with all the crap of this thing. Let's grab the benefits too. You know, that benefit is we've reprioritized. We're not hanging out at the malls. We're hanging out indoors. We're not consuming to belong. We're actually checking in on each other in a real way of belonging. It does, as horrible as this all has been, I feel like it has brought me closer to certain people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's a moment of reprioritizing what's, in, what's important to you in your life. Um, and I think that's been the case for all of us, or most of us. Um, but I'm really sorry for your loss. Um, that That's really tough. And I think that's a it's a certain kind of, it is, I, I know that grief of like mm-hmm. losing someone you love during the pandemic because it happened to me too mm-hmm. and to many people. And like you said, not being able to be there in person, um, there is really nothing comparable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, if Honestly, if I, my father was a bit like a cat, you know, I had this amazing cat, Oscar, and when it was his time, he disappeared. And I think that would have been my father's preference anyway. He hated the fuss. And the truth, you know, I have a lot of parents. I my. <laughs> My mom was married a few times and I have two wonderful parents remaining, my, you know, my second dad and his wife and not that anyone can be replaced, but, um, 
you know, I my story with my father was very complicated. My mom kidnapped me away from him for honestly no reason. When I was two, just before I was two, and so any time I reclaimed with him, I found him when I was like 19, any time I reclaimed with him was a gift. And I got mm. my sister out of it and my brother and the rest of our siblings, baby sister, as we call her, and she's in her 30s, you know, and then I subsequently found my other brother who I didn't even know existed. Like, he's part of a beautiful web and I have really deep, deep, wide spiritual beliefs that help me through times like this. I'm so glad. And you sound like you have a wonderful support network. And Mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that with us. And again, sorry for your loss. I think everyone in this room happens to know what that's like as well. Yeah. It's funny, you know, I... I almost hesitate when people say, you know, say that. And I, I do receive this, sorry for your loss, with great appreciation. And I'm also immediately right behind that is there's so many of us. This is life. Like it's mm-hmm. like we're not getting out of here alive. <laughs> you know, we are not getting out of here alive. This comes with the deal. This is what we signed on for. It's going to be over. We don't know if it's over in a minute and a half or if it's over in 100 years. We don't know. We don't yeah. know. So. You know, and who knows what the heck? Nobody knows. Uh, look, I can. I'm going to engage the hardcore science people and then the religious people, but nobody knows. You're making mm. it up. What is it for you? <laughs> what is it for you? Honor that. Stick to it. Respect everyone else's rights to have what they believe. And I've had some very clear experiences that you know speak to my beliefs. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, though. Thank you. Gotta make our limited time count on this earth. Amen. For sure. You only get one that you remember. So yeah. Yeah, you're only allowed to remember one at a time. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs>